welcome to Transforming Minds, Transforming Lives, a podcast series of RCCG Living Spring Pittsburgh. Stay tuned for our senior pastor, Boyga Esson. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10, from Egypt to Canaan, I read 9 verses, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10, so it shall be. When the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hill out words which you did not dig, vineyards, olive trees which you did not plant, where you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. Verse 14, you shall not go out after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the hunger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right in his sight, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. Father, breathe upon your word. Lord, expatiate your word in our hearts. Let there be spiritual understanding. Let there be illumination. Let there be clarity of thought and of purpose. Let there be utterance, O mighty Father. And let your people be blessed, O God, in the mighty name of Jesus. Well, I'm sure you know the Old Testament is like a physical reality. Why the new is a spiritual reality. In the Old Testament, the Israelites actually had physical enemies they were dealing with. They had the Philistines, they had the Egyptians, they had the Hittites, they had several enemies. They had the Assyrians who would from time to time come against them. But in the New Testament, the enemies we deal with are spiritual enemies. Principalities, power, spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of darkness. So many times, what you see in the New Testament is a reflection of actually what happened in the Old Testament. Egypt in the Old Testament was a place of bondage. I mean, the Israelites were held in Egypt for 430 years before God delivered them. And they brought them out for a purpose, to take them into Canaan. Canaan is not ever. Canaan is the promised land. So he brought them out of Egypt to take them into their destiny, to take them into the promised land. But fortunately, many of them didn't make it to the promised land for different reasons. Canaan, once again, is not ever. Canaan is the promised land because God needs witnesses. You see, this world will not believe until they see signs and wonders. So God wants to make you a sign. He wants to make you a wonder. He wants to give you a testimony. Many people will come to know him and they will bow down to him. Daniel shook systems. He shook the whole of Babylon, shook the kingdom of Middle Persia because he stood for God. He came so serious that Nebuchadnezzar actually bowed to him. Nebuchadnezzar actually proclaimed that the God of Daniel is God indeed because a man dared to stand for God. In this climb, in this day and age, God needs people who will stand for him. It needs people that will tell the world his manifold wisdom. It needs people that will stand as a rock of Gilberta and proclaim his will, his counsel to his people. So God brought them out of Egypt to take them into Canaan. Also, he brought them out of the world system to take us into Canaan. Egypt has to do with the past of the Christian. We came out of the world, and Canaan is future and is destiny. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that those who are in Christ, they are new creatures. So all things have passed away. He said, behold, all things become new. So he brought us out of the world to himself to take us into his promised land, into our Canaan. And I pray you enter into your Canaan in the mighty name of Jesus. Egypt is a place that people hear God's promises, but they don't handle it. It is in Canaan that they handle God's promises. When they were in Egypt, they just heard what God had done in time past. They were just hearing. But until they came out of Egypt, and two of them actually possessed the land, that was when they actually handled God's promises. So everything you read in the Bible is a possibility. Every promise, all the Psalms, everything you read in the Bible that you will learn to nations is not a facade, it's not a cliche. God doesn't make empty promises. If as a man, if you fulfill your word, how much more? The Heavenly Father. So when God says you will learn to nations, you will not borrow. When God says you'll be above holy and never be beneath, when God says you're going out is blessed, you're coming back in is blessed, when God says he will give his angels charge over you, that you'll not dash your feet against stones, all those things are promises. But many times people don't realize those problems until they get to their Canaan. It's a journey. Christianity is a journey. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon journey. And God said, look, I will take you out of Egypt. I want to bring you to my promises. So every promise of God that you see in the Bible is a possibility. And let me tell you this, some people are living it. Whether you know it or not, it's my prayer, God's promises will become your reality. You will not just hear of his promises, but you undo them. Because in heaven, there's no need for God's promises anymore. In heaven, there's no need for healing, no need for angelic protection, no need for prosperity. There's no need for all these things in heaven. So these promises terminate when you terminate in this realm. So in other words, you can only enter these promises as long as you're in this realm. Which is why you have to be careful. Those who tell you that it's not good to prosper, please be careful of them. Because the Bible says in 3 John verse 2, that I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The God that created the heavens, the pathway in heaven, the road in heaven is made of gold. And not just the kind of gold you have here. So that God is an excellent God. It's not a mediocre God. It's not a poor God. So those people who try to tell, ah, those who are rich, they are going to hell. No, 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 no. That's not the will of God. The will of God is that you enter into Canaan, a land of milk and honey a land of promegani, a land that is good. Egypt is a place that people's voices are not heard. They are sane, but their voices are not heard. Their opinions do not count. But in Canaan, when you begin to live your destiny, your voice is restored. In Canaan, your voice matters. Your opinion matters. People will reckon with you in Canaan. When you are living Canaan in your family, people will reckon with you. And that's just the truth. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, that the poor man's wisdom is despised. And his words are not heard. This poor man here, through him, a small city was delivered. Some enemies came against his city. And this man gave a counsel. And his counsel delivered the city from the enemy. But because he was a poor man, they didn't reckon with him. They didn't give him honors. They didn't give him awards. They didn't give him laurels. His wisdom was despised. His voice didn't matter. Even though he gave them solution that actually brought respite, but they despised him. The Bible says the poor man is hated by his neighbors for no reason. If you are poor, people just hate you. They will not pick your calls. When you send them SMS, they don't respond. They just don't reckon with you. They don't respect you because they can't see results in your life. So God says, look, I want to bring you to my Canaan. 
I want your voice to matter for the sake of the gospel. Because some people, if you are telling them, Jesus is there, it's because you are poor. That until you become as rich as me, they come back and tell me the same thing. So God said, look, I want to give you a voice so that people will listen to you. It was a man, it was a top-ranking official, Joseph of Arimathea, who went to take the body of Jesus. If that man was not highly placed, God's will concerning Jesus' body wouldn't have been fulfilled. God's plan was that Jesus' body was going to be buried in a new grave, a new sepulcher. And for that to be fulfilled, a Joseph of Arimathea had to rise to go to Pilate to say, look, I want this body. Because he was a man of means, a man of timber and caliber. That's why he was able to go and possess the body of Jesus Christ. Is my prayer you will not die on song. Egypt is a land of bondage. And Canaan is a land of freedom. They were in captivity in Egypt under the tyranny of Pharaoh for 430 years. Bondage is not something funny. Whether it's spiritual bondage, emotional bondage, whether it's material bondage, it's not good to be in captivity. In captivity, you don't have a choice. You don't have options. In captivity, somebody is ruling over you. The Bible says the borrower is subject to the lender. It says the rich rules over the poor. So captivity of any form is not good. In captivity, people are actually in trouble. But we have the spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. In Egypt, they were in captivity. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberation. Spirit of God is the spirit of liberation, the spirit of liberty. In Egypt, people don't own anything. Even when they are rich, they are still a mincemeat in the hands of the enemy. Every rich man without Christ is empty. Because that can just blow on him and that's the end of the man. And if you are piling up treasures here on earth and you don't have any treasure in heaven, you are a poor man as far as heaven is concerned. Egypt is a place of owning nothing. Slaves don't own anything. It's only people in Canaan who own something. So I will give you a land. So I will give you houses you have not built. I will give you vineyards you haven't planted. You see, when you hear these promises, you think it's a joke. That God can actually give somebody real estate by favor. In other words, you can get a multi-million house for close to nothing. I mean, God says, I will give you houses you have not built. What you have not labored for will come to you. So you will not have to toil. You will not have to be under hard labor before you eat. These are promises. But it happens in Canaan. It doesn't happen in Egypt. It doesn't happen in the wilderness. Because between Egypt and Canaan, you have the wilderness. When they came out of Egypt, they didn't just enter Canaan. They actually had to go through the wilderness for a long time. What was meant to be an everyday journey actually ended up becoming 40 years in the wilderness. So many people don't actually leave Canaan. But I pray you will leave in Canaan. You will get to that place of God's promises. That place of open heavens. That will be your testimony in the mighty name of Jesus. So Canaan is a place of ownership. People own real estate. They own businesses in Canaan. They have divine ideas that translate into finances for them. They own things. They own the wealth in Canaan. And I see a wealth transfer coming to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Egypt is a place of hard labor. A place of toiling with little or no results. Canaan is a place of sweatless victories and wealth transferred. He said in Psalm 44 verse 3 that God gave them the land because he favored them. There's a divine favor that makes real estate come. So Egypt is a place of hard labor. They were afflicted in Egypt. It got so bad that they were making bricks to build Egypt. They were the ones making bricks. And after Moses went to Pharaoh and said, look, let my people go, Pharaoh was hungry. So the raw materials to make the bricks, he said he would not supply them anymore. So they had to go and fetch 
the straw. They had to go. They will walk and walk to fetch the raw materials. Before Moses went to Pharaoh, he was giving them the raw materials to make the bricks to build Egypt. But after Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, look, I'm not giving them raw materials. And you must produce the same you have been producing before Moses came to me. Satan likes to sit on people and make them not be able to raise up their heads. Is my prayer everything that is making your head to be bowed over? God will take them out of your life in Jesus' mighty name. You will rise and you will shine in the mighty name of Jesus. So it's a place of hard labor, a place of toil. Pharaoh said they have to go get their raw materials again to make the bricks. And the number of bricks they make, he said, it still has to remain the same. Egypt is also a place of sin and evil habits. It's a place that people are compelled to sin. Canaan, on the other hand, is a place of righteousness and grace. I used to know this man, I still know him. When he was an unbeliever, he was a bank CEO. But you see, every time after eating at home, after eating dinner, he had this incredible urge to go scavenge. So he would go to the trash can and begin to eat from the trash can. True story. There was a urge, an evil urge. So after eating his wife's meal, there was an evil urge to go and begin to eat from the trash can. That's how cruel Satan can be. Most unbelievers don't have a choice. They are compelled to because they are under tribute, under servitude. But when you come to Christ, that burden is lifted. The force of sin is taken away. Jesus abolished the sinful nature on the cross of Calvary. So I'm not compelled to sin anymore. I sin because I choose, not because I don't have a choice. Christians sin because they are tempted by Satan, not because they don't have the capacity to say no to sin. The Bible says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That grace teaches us to say no. Say, for sins I not have dominion over you because you are not under the requirements of the law, but you are under grace. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. So there is liberty that sets free from sin. And I'm sure you know that sin also comes with death, comes with sicknesses, affliction. The Bible says in Adam, the first man, all men died. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. So we have the capability, we have the seed of righteousness. We have been wired, we got righteousness, to live righteously and to do good to all men. You can love your enemies. You can pray for those who despitefully use you. You can forgive that man because you have the capability within you. There's the Holy Spirit within us to help us to do what is right. But in Egypt, it's a different ballgame. People are under the control of sin. They can't shake it off. They do everything they know to stop alcohol. They do everything they know to stop drugs. It's not just possible. It's not just possible. Therapy will not help because it's bondage, it's spiritual bondage. And I pray that anybody under the sound of my voice is under some bondage. The Lord sets you free in the mighty name of Jesus. Egypt is a place of lack of good things. At times, people will have money. They don't have good health. Other times, people have good health, but they don't have money to enjoy life. But the Bible says that God will give us freely all things to enjoy. So God is a giver of good things. In Canaan, is a place of abundance. It's a different ballgame where you are praising God in poverty and where you are praising God in prosperity. It's a different way you are praising God in Egypt and where you are praising God in Canaan. They requested of them. They told the Israelites, praise God. They were in Babylonian captivity. And they required of them to sing song of Zion in Babylon. They couldn't sing. They had to hang their harps. So it's a different ball game when you are praising God in captivity. And when you are praising God in freedom, it's a different ball game when you are praising God in poverty. I know his people praise God better in prison, but it's a different ball game when you are praising God in the palace. Totally different. Say, so, look, I will bring you to this house so that you will bless me. It's my prayer you will bless God from the depths of your hearts. 
You have to truly cry out to God in gratitude. By the time David became king, he looked at his kingdom and said, Lord, what have I done for you to do this good to me? He was so appreciative, Second Samuel chapter 7, that Lord, look at me. You picked me from following the sheep and you made me a king. He picked him from Egypt and brought him to his Canaan. You will enter into your Canaan in Jesus' mighty name. That place of promise, that place of influence, that place of destiny, you will enter into it in the mighty name of Jesus. Egypt is a place of closed heavens. Canaan is a place of open heavens. They cried to God for 400 plus years in Egypt. He didn't hear their prayer. They cried, Lord, deliver us, deliver us for 400 years. So in Egypt, people's heavens are closed. And when your heaven is closed, it's real danger because your prayers can't ascend. When your heavens are closed, you can't hear God. When heavens are closed over you, there's no rain coming down upon you. But in Canaan, it's totally open heavens. Some people, before they pray, God answers. Isaiah 65, verse 24. As they are speaking, he attends. That's Canaan. Where your heavens are opened. When you are downloading heaven's ideas regularly, when you become an ideas person. But when your heavens are closed, there's no divine ideas, no spiritual understanding. You are just by yourself, and that's not a good place to be. You are just gloping in the dark. You will not glope in the dark. You will have enlightenment, you have illumination, you have spiritual understanding. From time to time, you will download from heaven. In your workplace, you will tell your boss, this is the way you should go. And as it goes that way, you will see results in the mighty name of Jesus. So, in Egypt, there's confinement. There's limitation. But in Canaan, is a land of no limits. He said you will spread out, you will break out to the north, to the south, you break out all over. So, in Canaan, there's room. Canaan is robust. There's room for growth, room for improvement, room for enlargement. You are not confined. So, in Egypt, Satan is a ruler. And because he's the ruler, death is the order of the day. Sickness is the order of the day. In Canaan, God is the one in control. Jesus is king in Canaan. He rules over Canaan. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says there that Jesus came to give us life and to give us more abundantly. Egypt is a place of downward trend. Canaan is a place of upward trend. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible says there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. Genesis 13 verse 1. Then Abraham went up from Egypt. So anytime you see people going to Egypt, they are dressed as being going down. Downward trend. But he came up out of Egypt. So people, when you are backsliding, you are going back to Egypt. And Satan likes backsliders because at some point in time they must have cast him out or pray against him. So when they get back to his terrain, he will deal with them. You will not backslide in Jesus' mighty name. Every time people are going down, they are going down to Egypt. And when Abraham went down to Egypt, that was where he told his wife to lie. He lied in Egypt. He said, look, since you are very pretty, they want to have you as wife. Tell Pharaoh that you are not my wife, you are my sister. He lied in Egypt. When he was coming out of Egypt, he came out with a small girl. That girl's name was Hagar. But over time, that small girl grew. And that girl became his problem at some point in time. So every time you go to Egypt, there's a consequence. You may not even know the consequence. But every time you go back to Egypt, you are going backwards. You are like that dog that is going back to his vomits. You will not go back to your vomit. The Bible says God is pleased as we keep on pressing on to the saving of the soul. There's no armory for the backside. Every weapon of warfare is actually in the front. So we don't go back. We press forward. 
It doesn't matter what the enemy is trying to do, we keep pressing forward. Abraham went down to Egypt, and of course there was a consequence because of that. Egypt is a place of fear. Canaan is a place of faith that delivers great results. And fear is not a good thing. Fear has torments. Fear can become a stronghold. When you see people living in fear, it's not a good place to be. And you see, Satan rules with fear. As a matter of fact, if you look at this hierarchy, they are ruled by fear. Christianity is the only religion in the world that you are allowed to forgive. Christianity doesn't do tit for tats. That's why people really take grace for lasciviousness because you know you can always come back and you'll be forgiven. Do you know many times we don't reap what we sow? That's grace. That's Christianity for you. Yes, the law of harvest is real. But oftentimes we don't reap exactly what we sow. You don't reap commensurate with what you sow. Those bad seeds, God said, okay, I will cause a crop failure for these ones. They will not germinate. It's the good seeds that it actually makes to germinate. It doesn't give you what you deserve. It gives you what you don't deserve. That's Christianity. It's a faith of love. God doesn't rule us by fear. Because fear actually is bondage. Anybody who is in fear cannot get things done. Fear actually holds people. And the Bible says some people, because of the fear of death, they actually enter into alliance with Satan. It's very prayer you will not be governed by fear. You will not be ruled by fear in Jesus' mighty name. Also, Egypt represents the world system. Canaan represents the kingdom of God. And just like I said earlier on, between Egypt and Canaan, you have the wilderness. Where you come out of the world system, you become born again, you are redeemed. All these promises don't happen overnight. God takes you through a process to prune you, to test you, to bring out the germ in you. So, wilderness is not always bad for the Christian. It's a process. If you are not processed, you will self-destruct. If Joseph had become governor at 17 years or after just being sold, because after he was sold into slavery, 13 years elapsed before he became governor in Egypt. And over that 13 years, he had gone through the school of Potiphar, gone through the prison before he became governor. If he had come out and become governor just one year after he was sold as a slave, he would have cut off his brother's head. But because he was trained, he was schooled, those rough edges, God was able to smooth them. So that's why the wilderness is very important. Even after Jesus was baptized, he was led to the wilderness. And he was there for 40 days and 40 nights praying. After this wilderness, a ministry began. So in that wilderness, he was tempted. He was tested, but he didn't fall. God's promises, you will handle them. In your life, it will be so you handle God's promises. Some people are already in Canaan, prosperity-wise, but earth-wise, they're in Egypt. Some people are already in Canaan, earth-wise, but habitual sins is still keeping them in Egypt. Everything keeping in Egypt will give way in Jesus' mighty name. They will give you on your behalf in Jesus' mighty name. So next week, we'll be looking at how can we shorten the wilderness experience. Thank you for listening, and make sure you subscribe for more great podcasts.